Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This is 10 News First Person. Stories that matter from the 10 News First journalists who were on the scene. It's late December 2019. Bushfires across Australia have been burning for months. A number of small towns in the Yurubadulla area, about four hours south of Sydney, are in the firing line. They know they're about to be hit, but they don't yet know just how bad it will be. The fire that strikes the area arrives earlier than expected and with a ferocity that surprises the most experienced RFS volunteers. Yeah, it was intense. It was uh, Armageddon. Um, yeah, something you don't want to see again. It wasn't a fire. It wasn't a fire. This was a storm, like, mixed with, like, a cyclone almost, like, just what was going on. It was white fire. I don't know what it was. Maybe it was the intensity of heat or things like that. I don't know. But the lightning that was happening, the horizontal lightning, things like that, everything was just... Storming. Even amongst the hundreds of stories from the Australian bushfires, what you're about to hear is a remarkable story of survival in the face of an unfightable, deadly fire. Ten News First reporter Kimberly Pratt was in the affected communities days after the inferno passed through. She spoke to the people who faced what they thought was certain death. I'm Narelda Jacobs, and this is a story of the New Year's Eve Nerigunda fire. Captain of the Bodala RFS station, Richie Seely, had known for months that the south coast was a time bomb. The drought had hit the land hard, the area was bone dry, trees had died or dropped their leaves, carpeting the dense bushland with what could only be described as kindling. The small inland Yurubadala communities were a concern, particularly Narragunda, which is an isolated town cut off from the rest of the world. In places, the main road is more of a dirt track which carves down into the valley. It was the final days of 2019 when three separate fires started to threaten the area. Here's what Richie remembers. Um, I went out with uh, Ewan, the captain of uh, Ballara, and... Um, and Ron, the captain here at Narragunda, and we did a good assessment of both fires. And, and um, during that time, we noticed another fire was starting to boil closer in. Um, the little Balimbra fire, I think they called it. And um, it was there, but it didn't, it wasn't an intense one, but it was starting to boil. And um, we've been out during the valley doing property assessments. And during the day and the night, I realised we're not going to save properties. That's about saving lives. And they were having a bit of a rest during the night where I was, about one o'clock, two o'clock, I woke up to this rumble through the valley. Um, and um, that's when I realised something was really going down. 
A few people I spoke to about the fire tell the same story. They were awoken by a noise. Some called it a rumble, others a roar. To the sound of a, an earthquake maybe, I don't know. Because the little Blimber fire, which I'd seen earlier, I told you about, was didn't seem to be a big fire at the time, but at that time in the morning when I woke up, I could see the eastern side here um, just exploding. It was, a, you know, I could see the, the plume and it turned to a pyrocumulus, you know, it was a firestorm. Um, more of a fire cyclone by the end of it, um, and the wind forces were phenomenal. Even with 27 years working with the RFS, Richie saw things that night which were completely new to his experience with bushfires. Jumped in my vehicle with the unit. We went back up at the top of the valley to talk to some residents who hadn't got out. Um, went and assessed the fire again and just seen what it was doing. And as I was driving back, the whole valley just exploded. The mountain, they call it Spring Mountain. Uh, it's about you know, it's the length of the valley and all of a sudden I just looked up to the top of the mountain and it exploded simultaneously all the way through the, the whole mountain just exploded at once. It must have been hundreds of spot fires just gathering and it just, the whole mountainside, that side just exploded then so it was like um, looking at lava going up, up a valley, it was just phenomenal. Now before we go any further, I'm going to introduce you to a family that are pretty integral to the Narragunda community. Siobhan, Caden and Sky Trellfall are all siblings who grew up in the village. Their father Ron is the captain of the local brigade and they'd grown up around the RFS and had become volunteers themselves. All three siblings had come home for Christmas, Caden and Siobhan from Sydney, Sky from Byron Bay. The Trellfall siblings and their parents were all at the family home sleeping when the fire that woke up Richie started to get close. They thought they had more time. This is Siobhan. 2.30, Mum woke us. I heard Mum screaming, like, for me to wake up. I ran outside and, and all you could hear was just this deafening roar through, like, the whole valley, and the, the sky was, was red. Oh, I, I still remember just going, oh, my God, I'm going to die. And that's what I thought. I thought, I'm going to die. That's Deborah, Siobhan's mother, remembering that moment. I ran in and I just woke the girl. I said, get up, get up. And, um, and we called for and my son to get up as well. And we're, and we're all just standing out there just looking. And it was roaring. And it, was, it, was, it was red. It was ferocious. I've been here for fires before and, and I'm brave. I'm tough. And I'm proud of that. But I wasn't. I just suddenly thought, I can't do this. The Trellfalls know the risks of living in a remote area surrounded by bush, so they had a fire plan, and that involved Deb getting out of town with the family pets when things got hairy. I drove up that mountain really quick, but as I was getting up the mountain, um, there was a tree on the road, and it suddenly hit me, hang on a sec, I'm going up this mountain and I might get stuck on the mountain. So I rang the girls and they talked me through driving up the mountain um, because, you know, that's a possibility because you don't know with a fire how fast it's going to run. I mean, fortunately, at that time of the night, it was heading um, away. It was heading, um, sadly, down at Cabargo, where some people lost their lives. Um, and, um, and, yeah, once I got to the top of the mountain, I then felt, OK, I'm, I'm, I'm almost... I've almost made it and I looked across and then I just saw what was coming. I could see the whole ridge and it was completely alight and I just thought to myself, you bad mother, you've just left all your kids and your husband and you've run. And I thought, how could I do that? 
and and I just and I looked and I thought I'm never going to see my kids again, my husband, and I almost turned back, um, but I was scared, you know, and and I as a mother have had to sort of um, rationalise my decision, and these these guys, <laughs> I felt good because they told me to do it, but it was still my decision to leave, and I felt guilty, and. I've accepted that guilt. You know, that's just what I did and that's what I needed to do. With the full scale of the fire laid out before her, Deborah knew what her husband and three children were about to face. She wouldn't hear from them again for almost 24 hours. Meanwhile, the sisters tried to defend the family house and son Caden and his father went to warn the community and fight the fire as best they could. This is Caden. As soon as we saw it coming, you know, we tried to get everyone out that we could. Um, there was myself and, myself and someone else, I can't remember who. We jumped in one fire truck and we raced through this village, our village and then down through other communities to the south. Literally going through all these communities with the siren on, just waking everyone up. Okay, like all, all these houses will come past, all their lights were off. Like every, everyone was still asleep. 10 minutes later when we came racing back through, we, we'd obviously woken everyone up and everyone was just packing their cars and just hightailing it out of there. Um, because as, as soon as you came out, you could, just, you could just see it all over the ridges, going up into the sky, and, and just the wind. Like, there was, there was bits of tin getting blown everywhere. This was, this was even before the fire got anywhere near us. That's how strong the wind was. We, we had got pretty much every, everyone that we could in and around the shed. Um, we had spot fires coming in. In, in quite a few different spots, quite a few different areas around the, around the community. But then um, it was pretty much within 30 seconds, it just, all the ridges around us were just, just lit up. And, and you could just hear it just bucketing down the valley. Um, and yeah, within 30 seconds it was on us. Back at the family home, Siobhan was in the yard trying to get the pumps for the sprinkler system working. Sky, just a few metres away on the veranda, could see the flames were approaching. Her sister had only been gone for a couple of minutes, but that was enough time for the fire to engulf the area. I look down the hill and there's a house that exploded, and then this house exploded, and then suddenly flames were everywhere down here. It was just, yeah, it was just like a big... Uh, fire cloud and um, Siobhan was in the bottom of the yard trying to get our pump fixed um, so we could sprinkle oh, like get some water on the roof but I was just screaming out to her like I thought thought I was gonna lose my sister. Finally Siobhan got the pump restarted and ran back up to her sister. I had embers flying past me at that point and I was screaming to Sky to get the hose started and I could hear her calling me and I when I ran up on top of the hill and I I came out here and it was like, you know, two minutes before there was nothing and, and the whole valley was on fire. And like this house down here, you know, my best friend as a child lived there. And so, you know, like I grew up going there every day. And so that was already gone. This house was gone, that house was gone. 
and I just like screamed like get in the car. We didn't even shut the doors like of the car. We just, you know, we got here just before the flames, flames hit. And it was just, it was just like mayhem. Like you had flames coming at you from, from like every direction. There was embers. You couldn't really see anything. With the bushfire overrunning the area, the sisters drive to the Narragunda RFS fire shed. The shed's a large green metal building with two big roller doors out the front and enough space to fit a couple of fire trucks pretty snugly. A community fundraiser a couple of years ago fitted the shed with sprinklers. It was a known safe space for the community to shelter if things got really bad. And things had gotten really bad. As soon as I thought I was going to lose my sister up there, I was like almost panicking because I was thinking in my head, I was like, are we going to make it to the shed? What am I going to do to, you know, make sure that my sister is alive and we stay alive? Because this fire, like, there's nothing that could have stopped it. But when I got into the shed, I just went into panic. I just sat there and I was almost passing out. I was just terrified. And you were looking out the windows and it was just raining fire. And then when we were looking at the windows, this house up here just was exploding and then exploded again and again. It just shook everything. And I was just looking at this tree on fire and I was like, it's gonna fall on us. Like, I, about 20 minutes, I couldn't do anything. Caden and his crew also made the decision to retreat back to the shed. It was just pretty much every man for himself to get back to the shed. Um, I was driving the truck as fast as I could to get down there. I went past uh, every house I knew that there was people to make sure that they weren't in there and they had made it down. Um, pretty much everyone who was in there had only just made it in. Um, I came screaming down the truck, brakes on out the front, I had the sprinklers on on the fire truck and um, the, the, someone was holding the side door open for us, so we had a clear run in. So we opened the doors of the truck, head down and just sprinted for the shed. And, and the, the wind would, would, was, almost, was almost bowling us over. Straight in there, door shut. He had the drenching system, the sprinkler system around the whole shed, just pumping, just pumping out as much water as it could. But making it back to the shed was not the end of the ordeal. They were now trapped in a metal box filled with smoke and surrounded by fire in the pitch black. Then the fight for their lives began. More coming up after this. Looking for your next favourite podcast? Why don't you head over to Short Black with me, Sandra Sully. I talk to all kinds of amazing women who are making a difference. Good women, great chat. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. 
So it's in the early hours of the morning in Narragunda. A fast-moving fire engulfed the village. Those who hadn't evacuated seek shelter in the RFS shed. Sky, Siobhan and Caden have just made it inside, along with their father, Ron. Also in the shed is RFS volunteer Ash Graham. This is what he remembers. It was black, it was smoky, there was, power, there was no power, so it just got real hot real fast. Um, um, when it hit, it was like a freight train. Like, a lot of us still have that roaring in the back of our ears. Um, the door, the door was hard to open because the, all the steel had expanded, so you could barely even open the door. Yet when that when that front actually came through, it just ripped that door straight open. Um, it, the, the roller doors, it, it literally blew them in. It was attached at the bottom, that far up, and all the way up to the top was just it was just the big flaming gap. Here's Caden again. It was pretty hard to breathe. The amount of smoke. Yeah, the, the amount of smoke that was in there. It was real hard, hard to breathe. You couldn't hear anyone talk because the, the, the noise was just so loud. There was one blind guy who was locked in the shed and, and, and he probably held it together better than anyone else because no one else could see but he was used to it. So he was, he was running around inside the shed in darkness, grabbing people, putting them, uh, putting them in the corners. He was getting the fire blankets out. The man Caden's talking about here is the president of the RFS station, Colin Brennan, but everyone calls him Cole. Cole's vision impaired, uses a cane to walk around, but he knows his way around the shed. Here's what Cole remembers from that night. Well, as the fire started coming in, it came in down from the, the north here, down um, along the ridge. And it was just little spots here, bang, bang. And you could see the embers sort of hopping across and then all of a sudden it, it just went bang, absolutely went bang. My friends are out there. And um, it just exploded. And once the fire started impacting on us here, it uh, was one hell of a fight in here too. It was pretty bad in the shed, in the station, but, but then there was one point that it, it did get even worse. The two front roller doors were, were just, they were just getting pushed in by the, the wind and the flames. You had, you had all embers coming in underneath the roller door and through the sides. Um, and the front roller doors were just, they were just glowing. They were, they were just getting pushed in, pushed in, and we thought they were, were going to get blown in. So we got as many, as, as, as many people as we could up against the roller doors to put it, push against it. But it was so, it was so hot that we, had, that we couldn't hold it with our hands. We had to turn around and put our backs against the roller door and just hold it there to stop the wind blowing it in. Like it was, it was that close, eh? We just all ran up, pushed the door back in, 
but you can only hold the door for a minute, like, even with gloves on. Like, we had to turn around and lean on it, lean on with our backs, with our uniforms, and then again, you'd swap over, use your hands, and yeah, it was, it was scary. There's something you don't want to be in again, but we're just glad we had those sprinklers. If we, if we didn't have those, that sprinkler system, I don't know, this would, there'd be a lot of, a lot of burnout people. It was, it was so close. You know, I'd, 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 my, I'd, my, I'd my two sisters in there. I don't know how many, how many other people of the community I had locked in there. It was just trying to hold those roller, roller doors there. You know, the, the only thing that saved us, that saved 15 or 20 people, was uh, the sprinkler system around the fire shed and the shed itself. If we didn't have the sprinkler system, we, we would be, we'd be all dead. And if we didn't all make it in there, we would have been gone. The people in that shed couldn't exactly tell me how long they were in there for. They guess around 20 minutes. But it was a long 20 minutes. We were fighting for our lives. People up against the door, holding the doors. It's like you're in some big race. You know, you just uh, mentally and physically you were exhausted. And it just kept coming and then all of a sudden, gone. We're sitting outside. When the blaze finally moved past the shed and everyone emerged, they discovered that the Narragunda they knew had been destroyed. Skye recorded her reaction. There's nothing left. It's all fucking gone, man. All of it. Miraculously, the Trellful family home was still standing, but the race was now on to save it. I came out at some point and Kate and my brother had gotten the fire truck with Simon, who's, who's in the brigade as well, and they were up at our house putting it out and then one of our gas bottles exploded engulfing the house and I was like, oh my gosh, like that's, that's Caden. They came like hurtling down the hill through the flames and then a second explosion that was, was twice as big, like you could hear it all through the valley came. And I heard Sky. she was inside the shed and she was like, where's Caden, was he there? And I was like, no, 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 like he's okay. Um, Dad and I got in the truck um, and we went up there and and we're going up the hill and we're just like watching the house kind of burn and we get up the top and I see flames in the windows and I was like, it's gone, Dad. Um, but we were coming back down and I was like, oh, that's a reflection. And so we get out, we get the hose and we go to start the hose, but in, in all the chaos, we'd forgotten to, the, um, the truck was empty and we didn't have any watering and we just felt so helpless. Like I was like, I'm here, I can stop it and I'm just gonna watch it burn. Um, sorry. But then um, the other truck came like out of nowhere up the hill and I was like, oh, thank, thank goodness. And we got the, the, the water started. Uh, we got, Caden got the pump started. And so we had water and it was, it was pretty tough. And, and I went into the house at one point and like ripped out some of the jackets that were on fire. And it, it was just like your whole face just like exploded with like fluid and stuff, just like breathing in all those fumes. And Caden started throwing up because he went in the house as well. 
it was like a, a wonderful feeling to like to save it, but I don't think I'd ever do it again. I don't think I'd ever. Just like the fear and and the, the stuff you breathe, the breathing, the toxins and stuff. It's just I, it wouldn't be worth it to. But it's so nice to have something like I go in there now and I'm like I love you wall I love you bookcase you know like we have so much more than everyone else you know here. Now let's go back to Deborah Trollful she's the mother of Sky, Siobhan and Caden. We last heard from her as she drove out of town wondering if she'd ever see her family again. This is Deborah. So I arrived in at, um, my sister-in-law's place and I didn't sleep at all during the morning and I just went to work because I didn't, I didn't have my work clothes. But I went to work because uh, I work in a nursing home and just to help out and do what I could. Um, but the whole day I, I, I kept slipping away to just go down to the fire shed and, at Dalmini and say, have you heard anything? Have you heard anything? Um, and so the whole day I'm thinking my family are not going to survive this. And, and by the afternoon I just couldn't do it anymore. I actually left work and I went and just sort of stewed at my sister-in-law's house and at that time um, the sky had started to get really red and um, there was lightning um, coming from the fire so so we're getting that half an hour away and it's it's looking scary there so I'm thinking if it's scary there what's happening you know here um, and about uh, five o'clock I was very fortunate somehow the kids managed to get a message to um, from out here. Um, they got a message to a family member who was able to get a text through. And I found that they were alive and I was so excited. And there was no one to tell because we were all there. So I raced to work and I just went around and said, my, my family alive, my family alive. And everyone's looking at me like, yeah. Because <laughs> I didn't know I'd been, that's what I'd been thinking about all day, that my family weren't alive. Yeah, I'd been planning actually towards the afternoon. Um, I would kill myself. <laughs> it was just ridiculous. I'm not that sort of person. But I was thinking, in my family, dead, I'm dying. I'm just going to do this. I'm not. I'm, I can't live if I've lost my family. That's it. You know. Um, so yeah, that was my plan in my head. <laughs> um. The Trollful family was lucky. Not only had they all survived, they managed to save their home. 20 houses were lost in the blaze and you could count those left standing on one hand. Ash, who you heard from earlier, was one of the people whose property couldn't be saved. Now, to say that the past few years have been tough on Ash is putting it mildly. He originally moved to Narragunda with his wife, Melanie. Ash said when they found the place, they had the same thought, this is it. This is the place they'd been looking for. They built a life together in Narragunda, lived in a small house and got a dog called Cozzy. But then Mel got sick. Breast cancer. She passed away a bit over a year ago. Through the grief, Cozzy was a comfort, so when the fires started to really threaten Narragunda, Ash made sure Cozzy was in the fire shed, the town's designated safe spot. But at some point, while they were fighting for their lives in the shed, Cozzy got spooked and ran away. Ash gave everything he had fighting this fire, but feels as though it still wasn't enough. Could always do something better. So, would have sent me dog into town. No, we did what we had to do. So, yeah. just the animals, the bush, 
place ain't going to be the same. Not for a while. So, yeah. All I could think about was that I, I knew I lost my home. I knew my home was never going to survive that. And then just realising I also lost my dog. I couldn't, like, yeah. Some people like Ash have lost more than others, but the grief is collective. If you walk around, I'm a little bit better now, like, um, but you walk around and you see just like the littlest thing and you just burst into tears because you're like, oh, like I used to play here or like, oh, this is, you know, where I, you know, fell out of a tree or this is where I made a cubby house. So it was really hard the first few days and every time you'd see um, someone come back and they'd see it and you just burst into tears. They worked so hard to save so little. Over half the brigade lost their houses and there were so many people in here that they were out here fighting for their homes but most of them lost their houses so they fought for nothing and it's just like the risk the risks of fighting fires like this is just not worth it like I, I wouldn't do it again like I can't I would never risk losing my sister or my brother or my dad and just it's just it's too much like I, I love being a, uh, like in the fire brigade and I would still be in the fire brigade, but something like that, I wouldn't, well, we didn't expect it to be like this. Like my dad's been in the fire brigade for 32 years and we just kind of thought we would be putting out fires like here and there. Um, yeah, no one expected that. And, and to go through that and survive, you're like, I never want to be in that situation again. So like if the conditions were like that again, I think everyone would be like, no, it's not worth it to be out here. Yeah. This wasn't a fire. This wasn't no fire. This was a storm. Like, it was what this fire did. We just felt like ants. This was not something you wanted to be in. Yeah. It's going to look beautiful when it comes back, though. When she starts growing all that green foliage, it'll be... And that's Australia. So if we're not in flood and we're in drought and so we know this. Yeah. Can Narragunda heal from this disaster? I revisit the town for an update. More after this. Professor and the Hack, accessible politics with just a touch of depth. I'm Hugh Rimmington. And I'm Peter Van Onselen. You can find us, The Professor and the Hack, wherever you find quality podcasts. I arrived back in Narragunda in the late morning about five months after my first visit. Last time I was here, the people were shell-shocked and the town was in ruins. But as I drove down the familiar winding road into the valley... Things look different than I remember. For one thing, I could see green, and a big concrete bridge had replaced its wooden predecessor. Grass had sprouted back, and a lot of the burnt-out trees are growing leaves again. I can also see blue sky, before everything seemed to be various shades of grey, from the smoke in the air to the ash on the ground.
Quite a few Narragunda locals had gathered back around the RFS shed, knowing that I was going to pop around to see how that all been going. I'm greeted by plenty of old faces and a new one as well. That's the sound of Jack, Ash's new dog. Not that Ash went looking for a pet. One of Ash's mates thought he needed a bit of companionship, so he came up with a pretty transparent ruse. He said that he'd got a puppy, but it turned out to be a boy when he actually wanted a girl. Would Ash maybe take him in? Oh, I was kind of set up well there. I was stitched up really well. I just took one look at him, saw those markings, saw that white tip on his tail and... Yeah, I couldn't say no. I couldn't say no. So he's been good. It's lonely out here. So everyone's going through the mental hiccups and that's no better friend than a dog. Ash also managed to find the body of Cozzy, which helped him find closure. Yeah, no, um, I found him. So I did find him. Um, yeah, he just bolted home. So, made it literally just on the other side of the, so about 30 metres off the boundary. Um, all the wallabies, sorry. Um, that's what, yeah, that's what's really affected me mentally, losing my dog. No, you just got caught in between it because it blew down this valley. Um, so half the wallabies are all facing this direction. Um, the ones further up the driveway were all facing down this direction and then where I found him, he was yeah, just curled up, bunkered down in between. So just that explosion where it came out and... Yeah. And I'd walked past him so many times. I'd been walking, working around him. But, yeah. No, you'll get a good memorial. And now I've got little Jack, so which is kind of what's needed. Jack has been a bright spot in what has been quite a dark time for Ash. Just hits you. And it's literally you'll just be you think you're having a good day and then all of a sudden you just you're just in tears. Or you'll just be driving somewhere and yeah. Little things. Little things are just and it's yeah, it's not just people that were in that fire shed. It's everyone in the valley. Whole area, whole shire's pretty much shocked. You'll just be in a good mind frame and then you'll just burst. And it just all hits you like a ton of bricks. Little thoughts. Try not to think. A lot of us are drinking a lot more than we used to, so it's hit us a bit that way. And, um, yeah, mentally it's... Yeah, I think I think a lot of us should have seen psychologists, psychiatrists and that, but we haven't. Ash isn't the only one feeling this way. Here's Cole, the bloke who was so calm and collected in the fire shed. How am I going? I'm getting getting out of where I was, but uh, I'm struggling. You know, the um, community health and all that, they've been fantastic. They come out and see me once a fortnight and then there's uh, the community health people, they're organising stuff for me and they regularly ring me up to see how I'm going. I'm living under a 10 by 10 tarpaulin with a caravan 
with my wife and my son's in a camper trailer. Cole thinks his rebuild will start in the next month, but it's not like things can be made right with bricks and mortar. His house was historic. It used to be the old school and its layout was familiar, and that's important when you're vision impaired. Cole also feels like the land has changed, and he's right. What was dense bushland now looks like fields of burnt-out matchsticks with a bit of green. It's visually different, but it also sounds different. That's something that really sticks out to Cole. You used to hear all the different sounds in the trees and the birds, and like even you even could hear, like if the goannas were around, you could hear them scuffling through the bush. It's all dead. Nothing. The birds are only just starting to come back. You're not getting the small birds because they're... Uh, they get sort of picked on by the big ones, so they haven't come back because there's no tree cover for them to go from place to place. And the wind is eerie. It's just like a... There's no vibrance in it or sound. Now when you hear the wind, all you do is sort of shiver and, and, and wonder. It's the same as um, you smell smoke. First thing you do is look around, you know, like, you just sort of jump into that uh, survival mode again, sort of trying to get things uh, into perspective. But because uh, everybody around here, all, we all had uh, fires, wood fires and that, so it was a common thing. And this time of the year, it's uh, hazard reduction time. I've got plenty of windrows, but I'm, I, I'm not, just not willing to light them up. You just um, a bit of paranoia or what, I don't know, it's just... You just don't want to know about it. This lingering unease is shared by a few people in the community. Ash also doesn't like lighting fires to keep warm, and Deb, the mother in the Trellfall family, gets anxious when she hears the wind blow through the valley. It feels like we always fall back on cliches to help deal with disasters and tragedies. And you're going to have to forgive me because I'm about to bring one out. This fire was horrific. It's turned what was a gold mining town with a rich history back into a blank slate. But, and here comes the cliche, the people in the town are closer than they've ever been before. They're family. That's... You don't just say hi to anyone anymore. You don't just shake a hand. It's big hugs, and you're not, you don't let go of that hug. Like, yeah, uh, they're amazing. The fact, yeah, everyone held them, stayed strong through Armageddon. Uh, yeah, they're amazing. They really are amazing. Some were worried that there was going to be a mass exodus on the town that people wouldn't be able to face coming back. This hasn't happened but there is some apprehension about the future. Um, what they're saying on the Royal Commission in the bushfire, this is gonna be the new normal. These fires like this, so well, see what the fire, see what next summer does. Pray we don't get this again. Reporter Kimberly Pratt with that story. This episode was written, produced, and edited by Stephanie Coombs. This has been a 10 News First podcast for 10 Speaks. We'll see you next time.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 